Hello and welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Charlotte Bond. I'm Lucy Hounsom. And I'm Megan Lee. This episode, in light of the fact that Moana is just leaving the cinemas and the live-action Beauty and the Beast is coming up, we are discussing Disney princesses. Today I'm taking over the helm due to my qualifications of being a fairy tale fanatic as well as the mother of a little girl who goes through phases of having the same Disney film on repeat for at least a month. So let's kick off with the ultimate question, guys. Elsa or Anna? Anna. Elsa. Ooh. <laughs> well, I'm for Anna, so that's two to one against. Why Elsa, Lucy? Uh, uh, well, pretty much for like the only one of the only reasons that she's really kick-ass and can shoot ice out of her fingers. Um, uh, okay, yeah, that's a really shit reason, but it's a really also cool reason. I don't know. Okay, so here's my take on Frozen. I was really looking forward to Elsa as soon as I saw those amazing trailers and was very let down by her character overall. I thought she was a really, really good character, which the producers or the directors just didn't, um, they didn't see through. that She had so much potential. Uh, and and so I, I don't want to kind of like knock her off the top rank just because the directors didn't, you know, give her enough screen time. That's true, they didn't. I just thought she was a really great character. And I, I, I'm one of those big, um, you know, subtext fans. I appreciated the lesbian subtext in a really big way and thought that was excellent and done really, really well. So whether they meant it to be there or not, I'm, I subscribe to that popular theory. And well, I think it's a really positive role model, actually. Um, it's interesting because well, I read a, an article, one of the ones that Megan forwarded around, saying that it could be either... Um, coming out Elsa coming out and dealing with all that or it could be her dealing with mental health issues another another way it could be interpreted uh, but would it uh, would it affect your liking if I said that Elsa was originally supposed to be the villain that's how they wrote it with Elsa as the villain and then they changed it at the last minute Oh, no, I think that's brilliant because, I mean, I, I'm, th- I'm sure that the story was based on um, the kind of, what's it, the Snow Queen? Yes. Um, the the original um, Hans Christian Andersen uh, myth and story. Um, yeah, I think it was a great idea that they changed it because, of course, villains are always better when there's an element of um you have an element of empathy with them and their situation and often villains are especially the you know the the cardboard cutout kind of black and white villains are they're very boring to watch and actually you know they're not an example of good storytelling but with Elsa you actually you know they decided to go and, and show kind of her journey to you know the woman that she became and all the problems that that went with it um and she does have some serious issues yeah and perhaps you know she's just misunderstood she's not really a villain she's just can't deal with the power that she has and she had really shit parents. <laughs> really terrible parents, yes. I mean, like, sorry, but I, I'm in a situation where I was really lucky that my parents were like, you want to be a writer? Okay, go for it. You'll probably not make any money, but hey, it's uh, it's your life. And they were like, oh, what? You can shoot ice out of your hands? Instead of that being cool, let's lock you up in a room forever. Like, what, what decision is that? This is just awful. Well, there certainly is an argument that uh, at the end of the film when Elsa goes, oh, so I get rid of it all by showing love. And you're like, well, you know, shouldn't you have learned that earlier on with your parents? Shouldn't they have shown you love? And shouldn't you have felt love for them and being able to, to remove all that ice in the first place? Um, so, I mean, do we think that that's a very negative 
view to take of, of Frozen. I mean, it's supposed to be about sisterly love, but like you say, what about the parents? What about the family? Do you think there's really a positive message to be gleaned from Frozen, or uh, do you think it's all darkness and, and nobody loves Elsa until their sister comes along? Well, Anna always loves Elsa. She just doesn't understand why Elsa doesn't seem to reciprocate. I don't know, I think there's definitely positive elements in Frozen, and I like it a lot, and not just for the singing in the shower aspect. Um, you know, <laughs> but uh, see, for me, Anna is the central character. I guess I I took it as slightly different to Lucy, um, and I just, I like that Anna is she's like the opposite of the old older you know aurora characters or snow white you know she just goes and does what she wants to do and that's really exciting and interesting and fun to watch like you know her sister runs off and everyone thinks she's evil nope anna's gonna go and ride off into the the night and try to fix everything and you know okay yeah it's a completely half-cocked plan and probably wasn't very wise but just the fact that she gets out and just does what she wants and carries on and you know is it's kind of willful um is what i really like yeah but anna also is like i'm gonna marry that guy who i've only just met and it's elsa who says whoa 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 you've only just met him what's this about and i like that that was that was really yeah, good because no, i mean it's good. obviously disney yeah. poking fun at itself about yeah. how many times you know it's Prince charming <laughs> um and it's even better that he turned out to be a real shit <laughs> We should have um, added spoilers to the beginning of this episode, obviously. <laughs> really? Oh, come on, it's Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about uh, Anna being the opposite of previous Disney princesses. Uh, the Huffington Post article that Megan found, I really like the fact that they said that Frozen was remarkable, not only in that it bucked the trend and instead of having a prince and a princess, it had two princesses as leading roles, but also that it subverted the whole love, love's first kiss ploy twice. Because you've got the bit where Anna goes and, and tries to get Love's Curse Kiss from Hans and he was like, and he's like, oh, Anna, if only someone out there really loved you. And I remember sitting there and watching, oh, my God. <laughs> and my daughter's like, what, what? And I'm like, nothing, nothing, it's fine. And then they have the final bit where she actually, Anna actually turns away from her own first kiss that could have saved her to save her sister, which again is almost like turning your back on the whole point of the Disney franchise up to that point. So it's certainly a, a very interesting um film in that respect and I have to say that I fall with with Megan and preferring Anna because I just feel that she is more proactive she's um Elsa runs away and Anna is the one that goes out and finds her and I do wonder if Elsa suffers her character suffers a little bit from having been first the villain and then almost the victim and that you kind of she's not doesn't feel like a fully formed character to me but I wonder what it is about Elsa that is so appealing to children if I ask my my rainbow group they always go oh Elsa you know quite a majority of them and I guess it must be what Lucy said the uh, the ice coming out of the fingers and the the superpowers that really make her so cool or possibly the dress I suppose the dress yeah and she's very beautiful and she makes her own ice palace and we're all very materialistic at heart aren't we <laughs> we're taught to be so from the age of three um so it probably is that I, I don't know i just thought elsa was really i mean maybe it's the female superhero um you know seeing a female superhero because i know they're they're becoming more popular now but they they never used to be uh, and especially in disney i mean if there was ever any kind of superheroing to be done it was generally done by a man so Elsa with her her frozen powers um is really kind of bucking the trend when it comes to heroism uh, and you know 
super powers. And um, Elsa is the first Disney princess to become queen, I believe. Um, I think that's right. Although with all the sequels that are out there for Ariel and Belle, you never know, I suppose. Oh, yeah, but the sequels don't count. Just, let's don't be they? real. No. Oh, no. Okay. They're no, fairly dreadful. <laughs> I think there's I think there's some value in some of them. I mean, one of the articles again, Megan finds all the best articles. Um, was talking about how um the sequels actually deal with things like trying to bring up a teenager and how to deal with running a royal household and how to deal with arranged marriages and things like that. And I think although they might be direct to DVD, there's still quite a lot of value in them that you maybe don't get in the actual films themselves. But admittedly they're quite poor, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really nice way of putting it. <laughs> it's the very There's English also... way of saying it. <laughs> well, we, we have had some in our household that have been conveniently slipped to the back of the, uh, the DVD pile, never to resurface. There's been a lot of discussion about whether Frozen 2, which is upcoming, will reveal that Elsa is a, a lesbian princess. I mean, is this something we really need to ensure diversity, or is this just trying to push an issue that the audience of Disney movies just don't need to consider? I mean, in the article from The Independent, there's a, a statement from Sesame Street about whether Ernie and Ernie and Bert were homosexual, to which Sesame Street put out the statement of, they're not gay, they're not straight, they are puppets. And I do wonder if that's some kind of, it's something similar to Disney princesses in that they're looking at other aspects and sort of saying, well, we don't need to deal with sexuality because your average five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever, is not necessarily going to be able to key into those things but that said there are a lot of older kids and certainly now a lot of adults who go to the cinema to see it I mean I enjoyed seeing Moana as much as my daughter did so what do you guys think is this something they should try and include in Frozen 2? Well I think that Elsa um, her homosexuality is um, for me a real kind of key um, part of her character because I thought that it was written in um so well I, I that's how I watched it and I, I thought it was written in so well that and it has all the elements there that whenever I think of Elsa I think of her as gay um and and I'm not sure about you know thinking that children don't need to see these or, or kind of consider um you know gender identity at a young age because I mean the last conversation I had with um, a friend of mine we were actually talking quite candidly about his homosexuality um, and he said well we said well how long have you known that you were gay and he said forever um, and you know he said it was very difficult to put an age on when he knew that but we said what you know six five and he went yeah he's just always known um, so I, I feel like I don't want to kind of um deny any any of these issues i don't want to make them an issue like in you know that we have come to discuss as adults um i feel like um that they should be included as it's as natural as breathing it's as natural as a heterosexual relationship yeah i'd quite like to see that it happen but it just not be a big deal at all like not even really yeah. commented on that's what i'd like to see or maybe like we just pick up in frozen 2 uh elsa's married to a woman um, and that's just like everyday life. That'd be cool. Uh, but I feel like if they did actually make it explicit that they would kind of, uh, well, they'd probably, you'd either get- They'd the... whack us all over the head with Yeah, it. exactly. Um, but then being Disney, they're probably just going to shy away from anything at all. So it, it, either way, I don't think we get what is really needed. But maybe I'm being too cynical. Maybe they'll show me that they can and will do it. I don't know. 
Well, that's interesting because I really like your idea of just having Frozen 2 start up and like, Elsa's married to a girl, yeah, and we're just going to get on with it. But I must admit that my daughter has been asking me about um, about marriage and things like that. And she she said to me a couple of months ago, Mummy, I must find a nice boy to, to marry. And I'm like, well, you don't have to find a nice boy. She's like, do, and then I have to have a wedding with a white dress. And this was just after we'd been watching Cinderella. And there's a little part of me that goes, oh, that's interesting. And I then told her that, you know, you can marry anybody, a boy or a girl. And she said, really, anybody? I'm like, yes. Yeah. So, can I marry you, mummy? And I'm like, ah, right. Uh, <laughs> I see where you're coming from. <laughs> so I think it would be wonderful for little kids to be able to see the big love story, but done between two women. But then I also agree with Megan that it shouldn't necessarily be like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. You know, it's hit everybody over the head with how fantastic and progressive this is mm. when it, it should just be normal. But then are relationships within Disney ever normal anyway? Hmm, well, uh, let's not open that can of worms. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, moving yeah. on. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say about uh, Beauty and the Beast and, you know, Stockholm Syndrome and all these kinds of things. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely not normal relationships. But, uh, yeah. Well, let's move on to the question that I had about what are the different messages to be gleaned from different generation, different generations. So, for example, what kind of role model does the original Snow White give us when compared to more modern princesses like our Elsa or like uh, the fantastic Moana? What do you guys think? Do you think there's value in the old Snow White and Aurora and um, who's the other Cinderella? Um, so. I got a little bit annoyed with some of these articles that we've been reading. Um, you know, that's there's a little bit of that kind of, oh, well, we're going to look into it. And if you look hard enough, you're going to find something wrong with every single one of these stories. And the one that really sort of jumped out at me was talking about Snow White and how um, it's a terrible film in that it, it kind of makes the villain's motivation really petty and saying that, you know, all women care about is being the most attractive person. And I just think, okay, but look at what the source material is and look at what it's actually meant to be about. It's a fairy tale that was meant to, like, warn against being vain. So it's kind of, it teaches a lesson. It's not saying that women are like this and that women are petty and shallow and vain. It's saying, don't do that because it's better to worry about whether or not you're pretty on the inside. Um and I think people kind of miss the point. They kind of, they're so um, determined to find an anti-feminist message there that they kind of twist it in on itself. Um, and obviously there are, it's obviously problematic in some ways, but at the same time, remembering the source material, what fairy tales were for, what it was about, I think, you know, they need to, to look at that a little bit as well and say, okay, well, that's still a good message saying you, you should be more worried about whether or not you're a good person than whether or not you're the most attractive one in the room. That's still a good message. This is like um, Belle's so-called Stockholm syndrome and the fact that <laughs> um, I know this is Charlotte. Charlotte likes to, to say to point this out. Um, I've read too somewhere that Beauty and the Beast was originally told to um, women who were lined up to have kind of an arranged marriage, and it, and the Beast is is their unknown husband, and that actually if she if they just get to know him, he's really not a monster after all. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm not obviously saying that, uh, you know, that, that the arranged marriages are the way forward um, or, or that, you know, that that's a good or a bad thing. Um, it's just that, you know, that there is some 
positivity to be taken out of um you know well i've always loved bell anyway i'm not someone who who oh, kind yeah. of subscribes so to the, the stockholm thing um but yeah that they all did have as megan was saying um there was all reasons behind um you know these original characters who we now maybe think of as a bit dated well yeah. it's quite nice i mean they're not only figures from um the grimm's fairy tales and, and all the all the way back in the in the 19th century but they're also they're then stories from um, a previous generation that are then being interpreted by Walt Disney's generation who have very different values to us. And I, I know what you mean. When we read through all the articles, everybody sort of put Aurora and Cinderella and um, Snow White right at the bottom of the list. But we did find one article um, on TV tropes which had alternative character interpretation, whereas they had Snow White has... Um, when she goes and, and finds the seven dwarves, her household chores, her household chores uh, are voluntary and she empathises with the thought that they might also be orphans a little like her. And Cinderella is trying to buck the system and she's got a sarcastic rant at the bell ringing. She frees mice from traps and dresses them in you know, direct contravention of what her, her stepmother obviously wants and just arriving at the ball itself for her act of rebellion. And the only one they can't seem to sort of find a really positive message for is poor old Aurora. But that's because she's kind of squirreled away by everybody and doesn't really have much of a chance. And I would argue that um, Sleeping Beauty is perhaps the one and only movie where it's not about the Disney princess, it's about the Disney prince, because he does everything, and he fights, he gets captured, he um, he woos Sleeping Beauty, and he wins a heart, and he's he runs, he rides in and, and de- defeats Maleficent, and all sorts of things, and it's really his movie, I think, when you think about it. Um, hmm. That's an interesting one, because I, I certainly don't think it's Aurora's movie. She's, you know, as dull as dishwater. But um, what I did like was um, when you look into sort of the the time spent um, with women versus men speaking in the films and in terms of how much, how many women versus how many men are in, make up the, the cast. Um, so you have, say, in Sleeping Beauty, you have this main supposed princess character who has literally no agency, no personality. She's pretty much pointless. However, the cast is full of women and when yes. you think about that that film it's like the you know the fairy that look after her what are they again i forget their names flora fauna and merryweather thank you yes there we go. uh and then obviously maleficent and you know there's just lots and there's lots of women and um there's that uh study that they did in terms of how much time was spent speaking uh women speaking as opposed to men and in sleeping beauty 71% of the dialogue is spoken by women. So that's that's really good, especially when you look at that compared to Frozen, which had two main female characters, and yet the f- the females within that film are hugely outnumbered by the men, and they spend something like 40% of the time speaking. So that's, you know, again... It's kind of like what what do you look at? What are you rating these films against? You know, is Aurora's personalitylessness enough to kind of bring Sleeping Beauty down compared to the fact that you know you've got her the, the fairies and, and Maleficent and you've got all this other stuff going on that makes it more interesting for women in that respect? Um, because again, yeah. you know, you've got this kind of problem ongoing, not even just in Disney films, but again, you know. All the sidekicks, they're always men. But in Sleeping Beauty, you've got sidekicks who are women and they're pretty awesome. 
the, this is coming to actually I, I highlighted a quote from the uh, crack.com um which was all about starting to think of them as protagonists, not princesses. Um, but actually, the bit that I was um, that I'd highlighted is about the supporting characters um, and what this author has called Lady Vaders, which I really liked. Yes, I liked that. <laughs> And she says, um, well, if you watch all the Disney princess movies, you get to see plenty of female protagonists battle female antagonists. And that's a lot of vagina for a supposedly sexist franchise. (laughs) (laughs) I really love that. And it's true what you've just said about Sleeping Beauty uh, and having, you know, 70 odd percent of the dialogue being spoken by women. I mean, that film is heavily female driven i mean and maleficent is one of possibly my favorite um uh, disney antagonist of all of them and if you go through the films kind of one by one and a great quantity of the antagonists are female um and actually the story is about you know one woman struggling against the wishes of another woman um so and, and disney is probably very good at that at put at kind of pitting them head to head and actually it's it's just the way that we've been brought up to to see that actually we should be rooting for these princesses when actually we know why are we rooting for these princesses why is all the the onus and the focus critical focus on the princesses or the supposed main characters when actually you know they're a, a, a wonderful cast of antagonists and supporting characters yep i still think uh well i mean i love little mermaid i do but oh, wouldn't it be a great story if it was about ursula i know she's a wonderful antagonist so great she has all the sexuality that ariel lacks (laughs) her body language (laughs) yeah she's like a mature i know we talked about this in one of our previous episodes but she really struck me as like a mature woman who has been there and she knows what she wants well in the uh, the backstory uh, uh, ursula was actually king triton's sister and had been banished (gasps) from court and i thought that would have made a really interesting tale as well yeah. Young Pretty Ursula cool. and young Triton. Was there more between them than there should have been? I hope not their brother and sister. <laughs> I'm, I mean, <laughs> hey, Game of Thrones does it well. <laughs> I think the day that Disney goes Game of Thrones is probably going to be the Armageddon, surely. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you, you're quite right with all the, the idea of the supporting cast, but I must admit, and this is a an issue with fairy tales rather than with Disney in general, one of the problems I do have with that is that all of the antagonists in it are all older women. So you've got um, the witch or the, the witch queen, I suppose, in Snow White, uh, particularly the stepmother in Cinderella and Maleficent in um, uh, in Sleeping Beauty. And it is a strong thing within fairy tales, if we're looking at the treatment of women in general, that the the bad guys, if they're women, are usually older women, particularly mothers or sort of mothering age who don't have that mothering instinct or who have rejected their children, like in Snow White or in Hansel and Gretel. And it would be quite nice to see a treatment of, you know, older women as being quite positive rather than either being somewhat insane or somewhat power crazy or evil. But I think that's a problem with the fairy tale genre in general rather than just with, with Disney in particular. And I think Disney aims mostly, well, obviously, <laughs> it aims its films at children. And it's, I think, harder for children to identify with, uh, you know, a main character who is that much older than themselves. And I don't oh, think that's just in the film industry. I think that's in books as well. No, I agree. I'm not suggesting you change the protagonist. I'm saying you change the antagonist to be someone uh... who is younger. 
or just not mothering you know I mean for example we've had two sisters supporting each other what if you have two sisters where one of them is bad and one of them is good you know that's also going to resonate with the young audience who perhaps don't like their sisters very much Hmm. Um, but the other thing is I'm, I'm trying to think of the male villains and all I'm coming up with is Jafar and the guy from Princess and the Frog whose name has escaped me but they're both old men I'm sure there must be more male baddies i suppose in milan the huns they they're not like oh sean you yeah i mean i can only think well, of yeah male old men as the villains as well so maybe it's what about, more just a, an ageist thing come on disney yeah. older people well, what can about be cool frozen? too <laughs> the guy in frozen's pretty evil right isn't he the antagonist oh, i suppose yeah i, I guess yeah. so I suppose the one um, difference to that is perhaps Beauty and the Beast, where the main antagonist is going to be, apart from the Beast being just a pain, but Gaston. it's going to be Gaston, mm. who is young and handsome. But, and yet, when you look at his design, is still somewhat older than uh, than Belle in general. Or I think he looks older, personally. He looks like some weird... Uh, I mostly think he looks out guy. of proportion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all of those eggs he eats. Thank you very much, I am looking forward to seeing Luke Evans as uh, as Gaston. I must admit, he looks like he's going to do a very good uh, a very good representation. Yes, and Josh Gad, I, I love him. I was going to say this is probably not the time to open the um, Josh Gad Lefou can of worms. Is there a can of worms? <laughs> open it a um, little and show me. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. It's it's pretty bad actually, and and it's it's a typical Disney move in the. Oh look, let's. Oh look, Disney's made a, a gay character. A gay character. How unusual is this? And then of course they're you know they've they've publicised it to the point where it's ridiculous. But what's more, instead of like people are arguing that you know instead of, they had Lumiere and Cogsworth kind of like lined up, one of which is voiced by Ian McKellen, who is. An openly gay actor and instead of giving the gay role to one of them they give it to LeFou and and people are like well hang on a second look at his character he is a real shit like he aids and abets you know his master in trying to basically rape Belle um, and and like you've it, it, they keep shooting themselves in the foot with this and I know it's made a lot of people rightly angry um, and it is a sensitive topic I just wish it's what we were saying earlier about Disney if they're going to you know bandy about like their so-called kind of revolutionary ideas which aren't revolutionary at all um, that they shouldn't just do it in such a you know a, a stupid way I mean why when they had this you know a perfectly kind of positive gay character lined up for them supposed to kind of make you know LeFou who's not he okay he's a good character but you know he's a bit of a shit really so why does the gay character always end up as the villain well I must admit I I totally agree with you when I saw um the the headlines that said oh gay character in the new movie my first thought was it was going to be um Cogsworth because it was voiced by Ian McKellen and just, you know, he's got a strut, I suppose it, it's possible. Um, but um, but I can kind of see with LeFou, based on the original uh, film, that he clearly hero worships um, Gaston. And I could see how that would be quite easy to turn into a gay relationship. I mean, I think it's a shame because, like you say, it's it's just an easy option, really. It would be much better to do it more subtly, uh, to do it with, with Cogsworth. Um, but actually, if we look, yeah, I just don't think that a hero, you know, hero worship doesn't necessarily 
in my book kind of easily equate to gay i think it can do i think it's as you say a bit of a lazy way of approaching it i mean there are plenty of like homosocial relationships um in in fiction and in reality and i just think that they've kind of you know it's all a bit of a publicity stunt really Absolutely. And like I say, I don't, just to clarify, I don't think that hero worship is the same thing as gay. I just think I could see where they're taking that natural step. Oh, yeah, I mean, no, obviously. Yeah. If you wanted to see a really good gay character, um, I must admit, my knowledge of this is not as great. I can't quite remember the voice, but um, I think it's Gobber in um, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, was, and had, particularly in How to Train Your Dragon 2, when they meet up with, um, sorry, spoilers, uh, when they meet up with Hiccup's mother, and uh, and Gobble kind of uh, says, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't get married because, you know, things are a pain. And he says, oh, and other reasons. And that the background that came out of that was basically, oh, yes, it's because he's gay. And it was a lovely little nod because, like Megan said, it was kind of incorporating it and making it explicit for those who knew what to look for, but not necessarily really hitting you around the head with it. And I think Disney could definitely benefit from doing something like that. And what do you think, Megan? Well, I mean, then you get the the arguments of, oh, but that's not explicit enough for kids to get it. So it's really a get out of jail free. It's a cop out because, you know, they're still making it obtuse enough so that the mothers who, you know, want to burn books and things <laughs> don't get upset. Um, so, yeah, it's a fine line to walk between making a cop out and then beating you over the head with it. And it's... It's certainly difficult to get right, but I, I definitely think that kind of thing is, is a step in the right direction and I'd like to see more of it. But I just like to see more things like, you know, when you have, say, let's use How to Train Your Dragon as an example, you have, um, you know, sweeping shots of a village and everyone starts running out and there's if there's a family, it's always a man and a woman coming out together. Well, why not have two men coming out holding hands? That like that doesn't have to be a big thing. It's just in a wider shot. It's just kind of saying, "Hey, this is just there. It's part of their lives." That kind of thing. Just the background stuff. Just putting that in there is important, and we don't see that. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that's definitely, definitely the way of approaching it. <laughs> it's a shame that they are too heavy-handed with it. <laughs> too heavy-handed and got it horribly wrong as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, on to the princesses. <laughs> well, thinking sort of sidestepping, I mean, we've talked about sexual diversity, um, but what about racial diversity? And I'm thinking more about the later films. What do we think of the representation of Disney princesses in general of different races? I mean, I'm thinking of Tiana from Princess and the Frog, uh, Pocahontas, uh, Jasmine, Mulan, um, and now uh, Moana. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think that's a, a good range? Do you think the characters that... Are there a token characters or do you think they have their own good storylines and and good um, proper proper rounded characters that you think would appeal to people of different different races? Um, well, given Mulan is like my favorite. Uh, yeah, Me I think she's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what I like about that is that they I, I suppose they again, it's that kind of well, you could see it from two perspectives in, you know, I love that Mulan also gives us um, a story steeped in uh Chinese culture but then at the same time well you know couldn't we have just you know a Chinese American and you absolutely could and you know I can absolutely see arguments for both sides but um yeah I love Milan I also happen to love Jasmine I think she's got 
real spunk and spirit. Um, unfortunately, Pocahontas is pretty boring, but that's... <clears throat> we'll skip over that one. Um, it's nice to see that they, they are having um, main characters that are aren't white. And also, you know, when you have something like Mulan, it's set in China. All the characters are Chinese. And that's, again, you know, when people are when they're coming to do all these live action remakes, everyone's, you know, up in arms going, please, please, please don't do a ghost in the shell and give us a white actress to play Mulan or, you know, to play all the extras. Like, this is set in China. They should be Chinese. <laughs> um, so there's... Yeah, the, it is. A, the whitewashing is a problem. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, thankfully they don't tend to do it in animation so why can't they do it in live action but that's uh, you know again sidetracked um yeah no i i really like that we we have a lot of uh we do have diversity with the princesses and i think that's that's really great in a way and this is it's strange that it's this way round, but in a way it's more diverse than, than as you point out so many live action movies I mean, is it because we're fascinated with the cult of the celebrity and that actually celebrity ends up trumping, you know, uh, um, historical authenticity um, or any kind of authenticity at all? Well, um, yeah, I mean, then you can talk about things like animation. You know, is it still a problem then, say, if, you know, the Asian character is then voiced by a white actor? And so on and so forth, because I know that my uh, the, my housemate, for instance, uh, who's French, is absolutely beyond pissed off that uh, they've got Ewan McGregor playing uh, a French, you know, playing Lumiere. <laughs> so, you know, which I can completely understand. You know, he's doing a fake, terrible French accent uh, in a film. Why not just get a French actor to do it? You know? Yeah. Just, um, so there are still potentially issues with whitewashing in in a different sense with animation, but at least you know in terms of you know children watching these films, children aren't going to know to go onto IMDb and look up who the actor is and see that they're a different race. Uh, we hope. <laughs> so it is better in that sense. What do you think, Lucy? Oh well, I pretty much agree with everything Megan said. I mean, Mulan is my favorite character. Um, uh, actually from pretty much any Disney film. Uh, she's certainly my favourite protagonist. Uh, I just love her whole kind of the way that they completely abandoned the gender stereotypes of so-called Disney princesses. Like my favourite scene is when she tries to spit like hawk and it just goes horribly <laughs> yes. wrong and she just looks like a freak and it's the funniest thing ever because it's so realistic and also if you notice with Mulan's feet that she doesn't have dainty feet she has man feet like she has proper woman's feet she has warrior feet that can like you know rather than kind of you know do ridiculously dainty like old Cinderella with her her shoe you know she actually Looks like a real person. I mean, okay, there are elements of when, you know, she gets like swooped into that dress and she gets all thin. But really, she's quite a realistic, because um, that's, that's another problem. It's body image with Disney princesses. They're all super thin with big boobs. Mm -hmm. But I thought Mulan was like, she kind of made a name for herself as being like the first realistic princess um but or not princess just just character main character um i i've never watched pocahontas um it's one of the ones i kind of ended up missing out but i was reading the articles and it actually says that uh, she's one of the only um 
main female characters who uh, turns aside from her love in the end to pursue her own interests. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. It's, I feel like that was a bit of, well, let's not go the route of actual history because that's just goddamn depressing. Oh, is it part of the historical inaccuracy? Yeah, I heard it was really bad on on the historical accuracy front. But um, yeah, that's a shame then. Uh, I mean, she wasn't ever in danger of supplanting Mulan, but because Mulan is my heroine. Yeah, I mean, it was just picking up on what you were saying about body image. Um, What I also like about Mulan is that uh, out of all her male friends that she makes, there's so many different body types there represented as well. Because again, you know, like you have the princesses, the princes are always, you know, these tall, dark and handsome and whatever. And and uh, in Mulan, you have all the men who are, you know, there's the short one, the really tall, lanky one, the just generally really big one. There's, you know, there's, they're all, all kinds are represented. And then you have the song about how they all have someone back at home. So it's quite nice to see, you know, men of, of different builds and different looks actually saying, well, yeah, we have romance as well we can fall in love and have have people who love us uh, just as much that as the, the handsome ones it's such a good point and it's it it just blends um seamlessly with the kind of general aesthetic of the film which is very realistic i mean there's another tiny element that i really love about it when she's they're all standing in line when they're doing the training and um uh shang uh, takes off his robe and you, it's so great like mulan's face is like whoa you know check <laughs> that body out and i was like wow how many disney like princess main characters actually look at a man like that and it was so realistic and i was just like yeah he is pretty well built <laughs> and it was a really nice touch it was really realistic it's like yeah you know fancy him that's okay and and not just fancying someone in the you know romantic sense but fancying them in a really sexual sense as well that's what's great about mulan well, you're talking about um, body image. I noticed that one of the things that a lot of articles um, put against Mulan was the idea that she sacrificed her femininity to get on in the world and that they possibly gave across this message that you couldn't be both feminine and powerful, which I think is is really silly. I think that might be taking it Very a bit too silly. far. But then yeah. you never know how the mind of a five-year-old works when she asks if she can marry her own mother. So, you know, it's... <laughs> I it's suppose, difficult. but in terms of, you know... It's a story set in a time when only men could join the army. So, you know, if you if you go into it any further than that, you're just uh, pulling at straws, I think. Yeah, and, and the, the, the whole argument about... Um, I mean, I'm sure if you looked at Mulan, that it would have a very low ratio about, um, you know, who has a percentage of the lines. I think that's probably, like, very low for the, for the women. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing because the whole point of Mulan is... She is a woman in a man's world and she, you know, has to get on and make some things happen. And, and you know, why I, I, to try and like suddenly drag up some women, you know, and give them lo- for the for the sake of like equality and giving them lines, you know, to try and pass this kind of test is ridiculous. Like the whole, that is the story of Mulan. Like she mm-hmm. is, she is naturally going to be surrounded by men. And what's also quite nice is that you have uh, a mother figure in Mulan who's supportive and loving and just very good as well, the mother and the grandmother. I know, two of them. I mean, come on, is is there anything bad about Mulan? Eddie Murphy? (laughs) It's great. (laughs) 
Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> no, no, even he's bearable. Yeah, no, he's good. <laughs> well, if you guys like Mulan, then I think you'd really like um, Moana, which I've just, it's just blown me away. It's just an amazing thing. And we talk about body image. Moana is, she's not muscled, but she looks in proportion. She doesn't have the skimpy waist. She doesn't necessarily have, well, she does have quite big eyes, but, you know, it, it's that's the Disney trademark almost. Um, another interesting Disney trademark you talked about feet earlier is that if you look at the Disney princesses, a lot of them are barefooted. It's supposed to be showing their um, uh, their sort of freedom and their their engaging spirit. So you have Sleeping Beauty who wanders around without any shoes on in the forest. And if you look at Rapunzel, she's pretty much got no shoes on for the whole thing. And it to was be the fair thing to Rapunzel, though, she spent her entire life in a in a tower, so she probably never needed shoes. Well, all the more reason to take them when you go on a big journey, you see. That would have been my thinking. <laughs> Maybe she didn't place. have them. <laughs> Perhaps. But Moana was really good. And there was um, talking about poking fun at the end Disney thing that we talked about earlier with Frozen. Uh, there's one bit where Mary, who is the, the other main protagonist, um, turns around and goes, yeah, I'm not going anywhere with a princess. And Moana goes, I'm not a princess. And he looks at her and he goes, dress, animal sidekick, princess. And I thought it was a really interesting choice of Disney to kind of go yes, this is a princess. This is a modern day princess. This is, she's the son, she's sorry, she's the daughter of the chieftain, but she is still a princess in, in the rankings. And it was clearly an effort on the part of the Disney writers to go, no, this is our princess. And she's just fantastic. She's proactive. There's no love story involved whatsoever. It's almost more like a buddy movie, which again is very unusual and sort of follows the idea of Frozen um, being about sisterly love rather than, you know, sort of about the, the one true love. And, and Lilo was- and Stitch. But, well, that leads me on to the next interesting question, which I was going to ask about the non-princess female characters, because Moana is kind of half and half, depending on how you look at her. But we do have Lilo and obviously Nani, and then we have Alice and Wendy. So what do you think about those characters? How do you think they compare against the princesses? Are they more positive role models, or are they weaker, or do they share the same flaws, or what? What do we think, guys? Well, Lilo and Stitch is uh, my other favourite <laughs> of all time, so... Uh, I will have very good things to say that. And I would say that it's, I love this film, even though I do not like Elvis. That is how good <laughs> I think this film is. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I love Lilo and Stitch. And, and probably because I see a lot of myself in, in Lilo. A lot of myself in Lilo. I just, yeah, I, I love that whole film. Um, the story about, you know, it being about family and about them being oddballs and outcasts. And they're all a bit weird. And I kind of... I feel like that entire film is just embracing your weird. That's the message of Lilo and Stitch, so I'm totally on board with that. Um, I mean, I I don't really, in my mind, I don't tend to um, distinguish them between, you know, whether or not they're a princess or not. Um, it, it's more whether the story's any good or if I, you know, I like women with character, you know, with spunk, with agency. Um, so another one of my favourites is Meg from Hercules. Oh, yes. Um, you know, and one of my favourite songs is, you know, no, I won't say I'm in love. No, ugh, I, you know, I, I don't want to be with him. Oh, but he's so hunky. You know, like, <laughs> um, I, you know, I really like her. Um, so, I, yeah, for me, it doesn't really matter whether or not they're the princesses or um, the non-princess characters. But there's certainly, I think, Disney has has brought some interesting probably taking more risks with the ones who aren't necessarily the the princess um characters well absolutely because you mentioned meg and isn't she i mean i've only seen hercules once or twice but isn't she actually half good guy half bad guy as well yes so she's very ambivalent 
Well, yes. So the story of the the story of Meg is that she sold her soul to the devil, basically, uh, to save a man who then ran off with a different woman. And so she is working for Hades and she kind of betrays Hercules in the end. But so she's, yeah, she's definitely not a straight goodie. Yeah, I, I just, I love her. Everything about her. She's brilliant. And I love that film as well. That's another of my favourites. So, a thumbs up there for Lilo and Stitch and for uh, and for Hercules. Yeah. Um, well, going back to the another thing that the Crack.com article was talking about is um, when you mentioned Peter Pan, is that um, they said my favourite part about Peter Pan is that it's not actually Peter Pan's story at all. It's Wendy's and the whole Neverland adventure is her adventure. And that actually, um, I mean, I really like that idea. I, I hated the animated version of Peter Pan as a child and maybe I got to it a bit too late, but I've always enjoyed the remakes of Peter Pan, my favourite being Hook because it's amazing uh, and I just love Dustin Hoffman um, but it's um, I, I, there was another remake quite recently and I, I appreciated um, it for the same reasons kind of thing I really like the character of Wendy um, because kind of unlike Peter she's she, she we kind of almost should be her story because he's the boy who doesn't grow up and doesn't change and because of that he has no character development um, and it's even though it's kind of it's fun to begin with it's kind of difficult to become truly invested in his story whereas it with wendy oh there's so much going on there you know um she's on the cusp of adulthood of of growing up you know leaving her childhood behind and those are that age it's always probably the most interesting age to read about because you you know she's trying to uh, you know balance her childhood fantasies with her adult fantasies um, and I know they have that um, quite traditional thing of having the her you know Wendy's father also playing um, Captain Hook which is quite Freudian <laughs> yes. uh, and interesting um, but yeah that is one of the aspects of um, you know why I find Wendy such an intriguing character so it's absolutely nothing to do with any princess element um, she's a great character just in and of herself. My only problem with Peter Pan is that basically the only two women in the whole thing and it's just a little bit disappointing in that we can't have you know a friendship anywhere with the women and also yeah and also a bit of you know why why are they all lost boys and no lost girls but that's you know going back to the original and whatever so that's (laughs) do you know know the answer to that yeah I know I know I know. It's Go on, because, Lucy. <laughs> yay! It's because girls are far too clever to fall out of their prams. Exactly. That's why they're all lost boys, because the girls never fall out, because they're just too smart, which is kind of, I suppose, a compliment in a weird way. <laughs> they yeah. clearly didn't know it... me as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> How many times did you fall out of your pram, Megan? Well, uh, my parents like to say a lot, which is, you know, to explain my behaviour, but that's... Uh... I have to say, I think if there was any kid that was going to go to Neverland, it probably would have been Megan. You strike me as the sort of courageous character that'd be like, right, I'm off. Yeah, absolutely. And like a place where I don't have to grow up. Sign me up. (laughs) I'm really glad you got around to Peter Pan because I rewatched it like um, two weeks ago because my daughter wanted to watch it. And my husband was like, are you sure you want to let her watch this? It's quite racist. And I'm like, really? And I, was like, I don't remember it. Yeah. Well, 
I watched it when I mm. once when I was um, five or six because my parents took me to the cinema and all I remember was loving it because we got to walk a great big red carpet to the cinema itself and this was the best thing ever. And, but I never owned it as a child, so I rewatched it as an adult and he's right, it is horribly racist when it comes to the Red Indians. Oh, and whilst no. that, Oh, yeah. And the, the song, Why is the Red Man Red? Mm. And Oh, my God. This is probably yeah. why I never watched it. <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't know a lot about Native American culture, so I'm just going to register my displeasure at that and, and move on before I say anything that, you know, might cause offence or, or be misinterpreted. But what really struck me about this film was the attitude of all the women. Now, Megan said, I don't like the fact that the two girls hate each other. Uh, there aren't actually just two girls. There are the mermaids who Peter Pan oh, goes yeah. to, and there is Tiger Lily. So not only have you got Tinkerbell getting really upset at Wendy and pulling her hair, you also have uh, the mermaids who, when Peter turns up, um, he flies off and leaves Wendy behind, and Wendy is catching up, and all the mermaids are sitting there looking at Peter Pan, and then they go, "Who's this?" And they try to push her off the rock. Yeah. And Peter Pan's like, "No, no, no, don't do that. She's my friend." And they go, "Oh, well, if she's your friend, Peter." And seriously, if I'd have been Wendy, I'd have punched them. And then you have the whole bit with Tiger Lily where she doesn't, Tiger Lily doesn't really do much except be rescued. But when she is rescued, she starts flirting with Peter Pan and she's allowed to stay at the, um, the sort of uh, tribal dance they have while Wendy is told by an older uh, Red Indian woman that she is a squaw and she must go fetch firewood. And when she refuses mm-hmm. and stomps off, she's seen as the bad guy. And I just looked at this and went, oh, my God, this is horrible. All of the women characters are really awful. And Wendy is truly lovely and doesn't, you know, bear a grudge against any of them. But they're all beating her up and pulling her hair and trying to drown her. And I thought, this is not this is not how women should be presented. But again, I suppose it's a bit like Aurora and Cinderella and it's a product of its time. But even so, I had some very hard conversations with my daughter afterwards trying to explain why Tinkerbell, who she thought was great, because she's seen later movies where Tinkerbell is lovely, why Tinkerbell was actually really horrible. And she's like, oh, but. And I'm like, no, there is no buts. Tinkerbell is just horrible. Um, going from one extreme to the other about female relationships, I, I feel bad that I've not spoken about Merida because I really like Brave. Um and one of the reasons I like it is that the central story is about two women, is about, uh, well, the relationship between a mother and a daughter. I mean, how often do you get to see that in a children's film, especially, you know, a Disney Pixar film? Um, and I thought it was done really well. And I know there was an article I was reading that called um, Merida, you know, callous. Uh, but I thought that aspect of her character was great. It was She was real teenage. She was very realistic. And you know and and she was kind of hitting back against tradition in a way that we all appreciate and um, but at the same time she had no respect for the, her mother and her mother's you know teachings and her mother's love and the mother actually didn't really appreciate that her mother only ever wanted what was best for her but then her mother didn't appreciate that she needed that things needed to change and that you have to move on and your daughter is not the same person as you are and that whole story uh, was just told I thought it was executed really well and had a very positive message I, I well the first time I watched it I cried at the end with the when the sun came up and with the bear it was just it was really moving guys you've not watched it no i have i love that film i really do love it and i think you're quite right (laughs) i think although the the mother is initially cast as a bit of a villain i think it's all about it's about both of their journeys and it's about them sort of growing apart yeah and then coming together together again at the end where they they fill in that tapestry and do it and i think it's i think it's just a lovely film I'm, i'm like you and there were criticisms leveled against Merida that she was a spoiled brat. 
And I'm mm. kind of like, well, I suppose a little um, bit, but then who of yeah, us but aren't when we're teenagers? Ariel, um, loads yeah. of them are spoiled brats. But if we're yeah. going, I mean, I'll ask Megan what she thinks of it in a moment, but if we're just quickly going back to the idea of um, voice talent, I love Emma Thompson. She's fantastic. She's brilliant. But could they not have found a Scottish actress to have voiced the mother to go along with the uh, the wonderful girl who voiced Merida, whose name currently escapes me? Kelly McDonald. I mean, thank you, Kelly McDonald. Yeah, I mean, Emma Thompson was brilliant and she did a really good Scottish accent. But again, are there no Scottish Scottish actresses that they could have got to do it? I mean, what do you think of Megan? What do you think of Brave Megan? Do you like it as a film? Uh, it's as good as Mulan. I thought it was boring. What? <laughs> Controversy Sorry, <guys>. again. <laughs> but she's an archer. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I, I watched it once and I... I don't really remember very much about it other than when her little brothers like turn into bears and they're adorable. <laughs> oh, that's my least favourite bit. I was just like, oh, I don't care about the brothers. Let's have some more of like the mother and daughter relationship. When I, the, My favourite part of the film is them living in the wild together and her trying to teach her mother as a bear how to catch the fish it's just a really nice way of like they they, they obviously needed to rebond they just had a you know they, they they reached an impasse where neither one could understand the other's position and you know sometimes you have to go right back into that a kind of a primal sort of relationship you know hunting to stay alive to rediscover the truth about each other and that was brilliant And I wanted to ask you about the new live-action Beauty and the Beast that is coming to cinemas very soon. And I wondered whether this will bring Belle and her rebellious nature to a new audience and whether the film is actually going to add anything extra to the canon because it seems to be pretty much a remake of the original story, um, aside from obviously the Fu being gay, and I understand that Belle is the inventor rather than her father. But I wondered if they maybe should have used the opportunity to increase diversity, maybe by casting a black or a Latino bell, just to make it that little bit different and bring out some different tensions and undercurrents and morals. What do you guys think about that? Or are you excited about the new Beauty and the Beast film? Uh, not particularly <laughs> excited. I, I mean, I just don't... I probably... I don't go to the cinema, so end up seeing it but I really like Beauty and the Beast but so saying I did actually see the musical of Beauty and the Beast when it was in London and the woman who played it was a black woman and it was really refreshing and I was like yeah totally why, why is it it's a bit like a kind of Hermione situation it's like well okay I suppose it depends how you know keen you are on it setting in France and you know using someone who looks very French but then who does look French it's a bit of a uh, I don't know. It's a sticky topic. I mean, people are like, you know, they like what they like. and But it would just be... It, it, because they're doing a remake, I mean, I think your point is that it's a very valid one. It's like, well, you know, this this has been made already, so how can we make it differently? Um, and how can we kind of be more inclusive um, and be more reflective of, of wider society? Yeah, I mean, I don't like this whole live-action trend anyway because... I mean, if Cinderella's anything to go by, I, I just didn't see the point. If I wanted to watch Cinderella, I'd just watch the original because A, it was yeah. better, and B, like, why do you need to remake it exactly the same but with mm. live action? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Maleficent made sense because they were adding a different dimension to the story. So I mm-hmm. can appreciate that kind of um, sort of remake-ish. Uh, although, again, with Maleficent, I thought the most boring part of the film was where it was basically Sleeping Beauty um, so for me Beauty and the Beast 
yeah, it's just I I just don't understand why it was necessary. Maybe uh, they should have gender swapped it. If they gender swapped it and live actioned it, maybe <laughs> then I would have been intrigued. Um, oh, that's a really good idea. And on that note, it, it, there's it, there's a if you look up um a artist called Sakimi Chan, she does the best gender bends ever for Disney characters. And there's a really really funny picture of um the Beast and bell gender swapped and it's just the the beast's expression as a girl always makes me laugh it's brilliant but yeah she does some great characters they look like real like you know characters in their own right it's just i'd love to see you know as megan says some of those you know if they have they have to do a remake be a bit creative about it obviously on breaking the glass slipper we're all about equality here so having spoken for a good amount of time on the disney princesses I would like to take a moment to talk about the men in the Disney movies and whether we think there's anything positive for boys to glean from the Disney princess movies themselves. So I've got here a list of who they all are. Um, I think it's just about in order. So we've got Prince Ferdinand or Prince Florian from Snow White. We've got Prince Charming or Prince Henry from Cinderella. We have Prince Philip from Sleeping Beauty. He was the first prince to be named. And as I said earlier, I think that's probably more his film than perhaps it is um, Aurora's. We have Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. We have The Beast or Prince Adam from Beauty and the Beast. We have Sultan Aladdin, who becomes a prince by marrying the princess in a brand new role reversal. We have John Smith, who's actually based on a real person, um, although obviously um, doesn't marry the princess in this case. Uh, we have Prince Lai Shang from Mulan, Prince Naveen from The Princess and the Frog, Prince Eugene Fitzherbert from Tangled, who marries the princess, Kristoff from Frozen, who's not a prince yet, and then through, thrown in was uh, Prince Edward from Enchanted, which of course isn't necessarily, is she a Disney princess? I don't know. But anyway, there is him. But I mean, what do we think of these guys? Because first ones, I don't even think that Prince Charming has a name in Cinderella. And certainly the prince from Snow White doesn't until later canon. We were talking about sequels being not applicable in this in this discussion. But obviously in the sequels, <laughs> he's given a name. And then Prince Philip is the first one to actually be named. And then you get some much better ones later on. So what do you guys think of the prince, princes within all princesses movies? Do you think they're good characters? Do you think they're rounded? I mean, they seem to save quite a lot of the princesses. Are they more proactive? Um, again, you know, with the more modern ones, they're more interesting. Certainly with, again, I think Mulan is an excellent example where there's actually a relationship built between the two of them and he shows a, a genuine respect for her and for what she goes through and looks at her as an equal. And that is very different from a lot of the films and very important. And that's why, again, Mulan is excellent. I would say a similar thing about Princess and the Frog. Prince Naveen is, is a good character. He's interesting and, you know, has character growth. And I would say, again, you know, he's more interesting than Tiana. But certainly of the older ones, they're not particularly interesting. I'd say Aladdin maybe um, is quite interesting, but I still, you know, I prefer Jasmine. She's, you know, she's got more spirit. What do you think, Lucy? Uh, so does the beast count? Because he is a prince, right? Oh, he is Prince Adam eventually. Ah, uh, oh, oh, Adam. Okay. Um. Uh, well, it's funny. I didn't really given an awful lot of thought to the princes. Um. I I always like Beauty and the Beast is is a favourite one. It was definitely it's probably not quite as much as Mulan, but it was a favourite growing up. Um. 
I like the idea of the beast because even though it's Bell's story, he kind of has some character development as well. And it's it's quite unusual to see two, um, you know, the prince and princess both have character development in the same story. Um, and I've I've always thought it was. Um, it's quite harsh, really, because, you know, when the, he, he says, oh, you can't come in to the old lady, if you actually count back the years, he's only 11 years old when that happens, um, <laughs> which I think is pretty mean to say that to a child. Also, where were his parents? I mean, like, he's a prince in this whole car- huge castle. Why was he answering the door? to to a woman you know a strange person on the step but and the fact that she curses him i'm not i'm not sure if this is just disney making a bit of an error um lumiere probably should never have said 10 years we've been rusting um but yeah it's i i just like the idea of the fact that he was a complete shit um even though he was only 11 uh maybe we we should all know better when we're 11 uh and he you know kind of stagnates for years until Belle arrives and it's her influence that you know changes him and makes him see that he can't go on living like this and actually you know he needs to confront the reasons why he became a beast in the first place um so he's probably my you know and yeah he's rewarded at the end for kind of I suppose manning up and (laughs) literally (laughs) and um yeah and, and just leaving the past behind um, yeah, and I'm just thinking about, you know, in terms of the Disney films, I think there is actually a prince film versus a princess film, uh, which is The Lion King. Ah, because, interesting point. Yeah, that is all about Simba. It's all about him. Uh, Nala is a, a footnote. But other than that, I can't really think of any. But yeah, The Lion King is, is a good story that's always, that is all about the, the man. And it's also interesting is that you know it kind of deals with a lot of those images of masculinity where you know he's trying to get big and strong because he thinks he's got to like go and fight um and then he learns about friendship and love and playing and you know all that kind of stuff and and so that's certainly very good and it it is a shame that we there's not more of that as well it is very good do you think he do you think uh, Simba counts as a Disney prince then? Because theoretically he is the son of the king. So he could be. Yeah. Yeah, I think he counts. The only fun thing I know about the Lion King, which just always struck me as amazing, was um, at the time Disney put money into two projects. One was Pocahontas and one was the Lion King. And the Lion King was given to Project to the Project B animators who were still learning and cutting their teeth and it was supposed to be a little kind of trial run for them to just kind of give them something to do while the main part worked on Pocahontas and if you look at the two now and you've got the Lion King with the fantastic characters and Jeremy Irons and um, uh, Darth Vader as the voice and it's just an amazing story and it's done so well it's got some amazing animation and then you compare it against Pocahontas that was supposed to be the big box office hit and it's just interesting how these things turn out. But I have to admit, my favourite prince is Prince um, Eugene from Tangled. Um, and the facts I know about that are that um, it was originally supposed to be entitled Rapunzel, but they changed the name to Tangled to represent the fact that he actually had a bigger role model. Sorry, a bigger role within it. Um, and the bit I love off IMDb, which I've got here and I'm reading out here, was um, the character design of Flynn came from the process called the Hot Man Meeting. 
uh, during which the writer set up a meeting with all of the female employees of the studio in one room and asked them for their opinions of what made a man good looking in order to create Flynn's character design with features such as eye colour, hair colour and style and body type. Video footage showed concept art and photos of various male celebrities, including Johnny Depp, Hugh Jackman, Brad Pitt, David Beckham and Gene Kelly on the walls of the room. Um, (laughs) Where's Han Solo? Obviously, it's Han Solo. No, Harrison Ford. You reckon it's Harrison Ford? Uh, Sorry, Han Solo. No, no, no. Not not Harrison Ford. Han Solo. (laughs) There's a difference. (laughs) Isn't he more of a Mal from Firefly, though, with all those witty one-liners? Yeah, it's the scruffiness. But I think it. I think it's really good, and I think the fact that they actually changed the title to represent a slightly bigger role model for Eugene was a really big thing for what is essentially a Disney princess movie. And I must admit, it's been a while since I was in the Disney store, or rather, it was a while that I went round it at speed that isn't at a five-year-old speed. But I don't know if there are any Disney prince dolls in there to go with the Disney princesses, or whether they're just princess dolls. Well, with that, we've reached the end of our Disney princess episode. Please join us again for the next episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper. <laughs>